Hello everyone and welcome to the 2020 Expert View podcast where today we're going to be focusing on member options. So my name is Ben Sammons, I work here at 2020 and today I'm joined by Julia Fox from Quiet Room, Mark Barlow from XPS and Robin Dickinson from PwC. So hi all, I just wanted to give you a quick chance just to do a little introduction so people kind of get to know you a little bit at the start of this before we delve into member options. So I wondered, um, Julie, if you could just go first and just give us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure, of course. So um, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Julia Fox. I work for Quiet Room. I'm a consultant with Quiet Room. We're um, a communications consultancy and we specialise in, you know, things that are hard to love but really important. So pensions has taken centre stage on that. Um, in terms of my sort of day-to-day work we can be doing anything from sort of helping schemes with their sort of strategic aims and and how they want to communicate really broadly with the membership to just sort of getting down to brass tacks and and writing the copy that members will see um and more often than not both um so when it comes to things like member options it's really important obviously for members to um understand what's going on to feel qualified to read it and understand it and respond to it so that's often where we get involved um just helping schemes to sort of plan ahead what they're going to say how they're going to say it and then more often than not implementing that for them as well thank you uh, mark do you want to go next yeah happy to thanks ben uh, my name is mark barlow i'm a partner at xps pensions group uh, i'm a scheme actuary day-to-day and also a corporate consultant which means i talk to trustees and companies about how to manage the pension schemes but another one of my roles is our head of member options. So that means anything that we do around providing member options to uh, any of our clients or, or individuals goes through me and my team. And that includes providing further support to members as well. Um, as a business as well, we administer almost a million um, pension member records. So uh, we do see a lot of what, me- what decisions members are making and what options they're choosing to take. Thank you. And Robin, Robin, do you want to go next? Yeah, so hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Robin Dickinson. I'm a director at PwC. So I, I spend my time effectively t- talking to trustees and, and companies and helping them to agree a plan effectively to get from where they are, which is often a, you know, a pretty good place into a really good place. So a place where they're able to secure those benefits, either with an insurance company or someone else. So here to talk about how member options is part of that process. Great. Thank you, everyone. And so this episode, as I mentioned, we're going to be focusing on member options, uh, and I was just hoping that we can take a step back and look at them from a number of angles, I guess, um, whether that be what options are actually available, um, who exactly benefits from these options, uh, how they're communicated and how they fit in within a bigger picture for the scheme amongst amongst other things. And I guess to start, just kind of summarise, um, I wondered, Mark, if you could kind of elaborate a little bit on what is typically offered to members in terms of these member options, whether that's either as an exercise or as an ongoing piece of uh, something that's been offered by the scheme. And I just wondered, do you believe that these can genuinely be positive options for the members and not just something that the scheme's doing for scheme benefits, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I think picking up on our last point, firstly, uh, absolutely, I, I firmly believe that they can be good for schemes and good for members as long as they're implemented in the right way. Um, and, and I guess that starts from the fact that, you know, every member's different. They'll have different needs, different wants for their pension income. So it's it's natural that they'll want to explore different ways of receiving that pension income. And every scheme 
in the country will provide some options to members, be that when they can choose to retire, you know, early or late or on, on their normal retirement date, and how much cash they choose to take. So pretty much every scheme in the country will offer members an option to exchange some pension for cash at retirement and have always done that. So, so members currently have those options as default, no matter what scheme they're in. But um, plenty of schemes as well are looking to broaden that out to recognise some some other um, uh, other sort of needs that, uh, and desires of members. And pro sorry, the one other option I should have mentioned, which is the transfer option. So members do have the statutory right for a transfer as well. Uh, and so uh, that's an option that members have, have been able to exercise up until now. Some of the other options that we see schemes looking at to try and help members uh, includes the partial transfer option. So that's where members can choose to transfer just part of the benefits rather than having the all or nothing decision of do I do I take my chances by transferring everything or do I transfer nothing and, and stick with my, my DV pension? Um, and then the other options tend to be a bit more around reshaping the pension that they've got in the scheme at the moment. So uh, a pension increase exchange is one uh, that can be offered to members where you give up some future increases on your pension for a higher pension today that increases at a lower rate. Or if you're looking to retire prior to your state pension age, you might be offered a bridging pension, as it's called. And what that does is bring forward some of your income from your pension scheme to plug the gap between today when you're retiring and when you reach your state pension age and you get your state pension kicking in. So trying to help members who don't think they can afford yet actually plug that gap and retire a little bit earlier. So, so they're some of the options that schemes are looking at providing to members just to give them extra flexibility. And just coming back to that point I made at the start, I do think as long as they're set in the right way, these options can really be win-win. Um, you know, if members are given fair value and something that they value more than their standard pension, then that has to be a good thing for members. And these will generally be set in on terms that benefit the scheme against their long-term target, be that buyout or, or whatever that might be. So they'll make a saving when members choose these options. And in doing so, you'll generally reduce risk associated with the scheme so that the chances that that, that good position Robin alluded to earlier becomes a, a bad position uh, over time. That's really useful. Thanks, Mark. Kind of sets that, that scene of exactly how this looks. And I guess I guess one for you maybe, Julia, is that pensions are notoriously something that people say they don't understand or that they'll put off until just before they need them and then they'll deal with it then. And I think we, we all understand that and accept that as kind of par for the course is something that we are battling against when communicating these things. Are there ways you think to communicate these additional options beyond the basic options that maybe members haven't even engaged with there in an engaging way? How do we go about doing that even though there's more complexity? If you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a good question. The um the thing is that members will seldom sort of understand things. Well, they definitely don't understand things to the almost sickening degree that we understand them behind closed doors in the <laughs> pensions industry. But um they will often they'll categorize it along with loads of other really um complex or distant or far off things in their life that they feel sort of unqualified to make a judgment on as um, almost binary. So you think, well, the pension is the income I'm going to get when I retire, right? Um, 
the idea that it's broken down into multiple parts um, isn't really going to land with them necessarily unless you can really talk them through it. The idea that they can take it in different ways when at the moment they're kind of just thinking about something that will just kick in at some point um, doesn't necessarily cross their mind. They might not think if they have a DB pension that they have to do a huge amount of, of planning or thinking about it. Um, but then likewise, you may find that the DB pension that you're offering is is one of you know three or four or five or six sources of income that members are going to have in retirement. So equally, um, you know, it could be a really positive thing that you have options for something that is not going to be your your sole income. You're you're looking at a sort of wider financial landscape there as you approach retirement. But we just kind of have to assume intelligence, but not knowledge. Basically, um, people are going to like their they'll get the pound signs in their eyes you know what I mean if you say hey you can get a higher pension no one's going to want to say no to that and we always just want to make sure that we don't over engage them almost you know like give them this this headline you can get a higher pension now which is uh, not what we want people to just take away and think oh yeah great I'm going to increase my pension and then actually find that it, it wasn't suitable for them so I'd say engagement is kind of assuming um, people don't know what we're talking about, uh, knowing inc how incredibly complex it is and that immediately when we go in, there's going to be a load of stuff there that we think is obvious that the person reading it is not going to. So always looking at it with that lens, I'd say, is like really important and just kind of breaking it down, I guess, there's um, often a huge amount that has to go with these communications, you know, when um, we have to send out a lot of caveats, a lot of things to think about. Sometimes you'll be introducing like an IFA option that hasn't been there before. You might be absolutely bombarding people with information. And one of the quickest, easiest and, and best things to do is write a sort of cover letter that's really short, really sweet, tells you what's kind of included and then append all that detail to the letter. Um, in terms of your writing and what you're sending out, it's not actually any different to what you would have been doing in the first place if you put it all into a letter. But from the member's point of view, you're able to kind of navigate, okay, so what what are you offering me here? First things first, am I interested, am I not? And then here's all the information I can get into off the back of that. So we sort of structure information, um, assuming, as I say, people are perfectly intelligent, perfectly capable of engaging with it, but not necessarily wanting to or feeling qualified to if we hit them with loads mm -hmm. of you know jargon and, and detail up front. Yeah I know a, a, one of the exercises I worked on the the member nominated trustee on the scheme was really useful at this point because he had wonderful knowledge of pensions in the scheme but also yeah. understand the membership and exactly where their engagement would be and it was really valuable for us to have that because we do this all day every day you know like you yes. said in that, in that almost sickening to be pensions is our <laughs> Is our, yeah. is our nine to five, isn't it? You know what I mean? So to have that lens added to it, yeah, like I said, is, is yeah. really useful. And I guess just to follow on from that, when we're talking about the engagement point, engagement is key. But as you said, you, you want to manage expectations at the same time. And I think one of the ways to do that is also to provide adequate support for members to help them make the informed decisions, as Mark said, that is right for them individually. I think mm -hmm. that can be different in each. And I know one of the things that, we focus on quite a bit at 2020 when we're going through these things is the importance of IFA advice offering that whether that is paid for by the scheme or whether that is signposting uh, and I just wondered if anyone kind of wanted to pick up on on that point if they had any views on sort of the, the importance of IFA advice. 
I'm happy to give my views to start with, Ben, yeah, and then others can chip in. I, I mean, I'll, I'll just back up what Julie said. I, I think engagement is absolutely critical to all of this because um, there's no point in introducing the options I've talked about already if no one's going to use them. All it's going to do is, is increase your costs and confuse members. So making sure it's done in the right way and with the right support has to be absolutely crucial. Um, so, yeah, just picking up the point on the IFAs in particular, I, I think that is an area where um it can add an awful lot of value but but left to their own devices members have a, a real di difficult time in in finding an ifa so um the ifa market shrunk in recent years as a result of legislative changes particularly around banning the old way that ifas used to charge where they'd, they'd only take a fee off members when they transferred um although we thought that was a good thing to happen it led to some IFAs leaving the market, which made it even harder for a member to go to their local IFA and, and find one that's actually got the right permissions and is, is trustworthy and reputable. Um, so members find it hard to find one. And, and also, they have to pay up front for some advice, some very significant fees, probably four or five thousand pounds, probably even more, potentially to be told to just stay where they are. Um, so a lot of pension schemes that we work with are taking steps to to help members with that, either to tell them what to expect from an IFA process. This might be the only time that these members have ever taken financial advice. So what can I expect from that? What questions should I be asking of my IFA? Or even going, going further and, and selecting an IFA to work with the scheme. And the real beauty of that is IFAs, when they're advising a member, need to educate themselves on the circumstances of the member's um, pension arrangement. And if you've got hundreds of members from the same arrangement, well, they only have to educate themselves once. So you can pass on those economies of scale and get that four or five thousand pound cost down to something more like one or two thousand pounds per member. So significant saving for the individual. And some pension schemes or employers are actually going that step further and paying that cost, recognising that in the context of a substantial transfer value, those costs aren't that significant for a pension scheme. And, and just to add to that, Mark, I guess if, if I think about, you know, the, the, the schemes and the trustees where, where I operate, you know, often with a view to a, a longer term target or, a, or an insurance transaction, I, I think, you know, trustees are, are aware that that IFA advice might not be available in future and and so there's a there's a there's a real comfort almost in in making sure that you know as, as the scheme comes towards the end of its lifetime we secure those benefits actually you know members have the most informed view going into that process just because you know typically post an insurance transaction that advice isn't available yeah yeah that's really good i think I think it sums up exactly my thoughts around the IFA advice, and I know most of the schemes we work on offering that paid for support. Also being able to select a reputable IFA that is linked to the scheme, and also uh, the point you've made about having the scheme knowledge. It's also a lot of IFAs will offer, if they're working on a scheme, scheme-wide, some scheme-specific stuff that can be there, whether it's digital or whether it's whatever, to educational pieces alongside your advice but also sort of the additional layer of help to help un members understand is another layer that can be added in that you wouldn't necessarily get if you were going for individual advice but if you're going for it as a scheme i think that's been quite useful we've seen that on a, on a few things as well um so i guess to move the focus slightly robin i guess so far we've been looking at the benefits and risks to the individual members and their their own benefits but there is also the bigger picture to consider here in terms of 
wider strategy and journey planning of a scheme as a whole. And I just wondered if you could give some more detail about how member options and in particular, I guess, member options exercises fit in with the journey planning and strategy side that you see. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think if we take a step back from sort of, you know, member options, I always think about, well, where are schemes? Where are they going to? And, and Mark mentioned a, a long term target earlier. And we're seeing much more, you know, encouragement as, a, as an industry as general for, for schemes to think about where they're, where they're headed. Now, for a lot of schemes, that might be an insurance transaction. It might be a third party. It might be a, a runoff of the scheme. But ultimately, you know, everyone's thinking about how long it is until they get to that that end destination that we want to get to. And I, and I think, you know, I, I echo Mark's thoughts that a well-designed member option can help in all of those or, or, or a series of exercises can help in all of those scenarios. Because effectively, if, if we think about, you know, a typical journey plan of, you know, five or 10 years, it, it can bring that forward because as members choose to reshape their options or to transfer elsewhere, it, it does bring, you know, it can increase the funding level of the scheme, it can take risk out and it makes those future transactions much more affordable and much more likely in a shorter period of time. So, you know, echo the thoughts about it being a win-win. I, I, I think the point not to forget is that the member options need to work within that journey plan. And of course, it, it certainly can do. The, the problem it gives us sometimes in terms of the, the communication to members. So how do we convey the messages that we want to in terms of the options that are available to members and the wider, the bigger picture, the plan for the scheme? And I think one area where we have had a lot of success, and I think we first did this on a 2020 scheme with with, uh, with you, Ben and, and, and Becky, was we, we wrote an ambition letter for the scheme. So we wrote a very simple one page letter and we said, look, this is where we are. In, in that case, you know, we've agreed some additional funding with the sponsor and we've now got a period of, you know, three or five years where we want to get to, uh, uh, you know, securing your benefits with an insurance company. And what we're looking to do is provide members support alongside that process. And it, it was it was quite a simple letter. And I think as pensions professionals, we then want to fill in all the blanks and say, oh, we're going to run this exercise on this day and we're going to give this support. But actually, it was very good to have that collaborative letter up front just to set the scene almost. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think setting the scene for members, particularly if you're on a journey to something like buyout, it's a great opportunity to frame it as well early on as uh, this is an ambition because it's a it's a good thing. Um, I think there's a real danger of of members hearing, you know, relatively last minute. Oh, the the scheme's closing and there's an insurer involved um, and assuming like in retail that that is a really bad thing and that something's gone horribly wrong behind closed doors. And I think being able to celebrate it and to just send it out. And I think it's a really nice term, Rob, in the uh, ambition letter. You know, this is what we're doing. And this is uh, the journey that we're all on. And here's what you can kind of expect from us over the next few years. We'll be in touch. It's just a nice way of framing what could also be a, a barrage of communications over time, which also makes people think, is something wrong? Because I never hear from my pension scheme. And now I've heard for the like six times in the last two years. <laughs> And I think that's a good point, though, Julia. I think um, pension schemes historically haven't been that great at communicating with members. And so trying not to hit people with a huge amount of information out of the blue has to help. So that sort of ambition letter or, you know, if you're in different circumstances, just starting sending regular statements so that people aren't surprised when you start sending them information or offers or options. You know, they can start thinking about it before they're actually ready to to retire or transfer yeah I, I think there's also there's a real danger of people thinking it's a scam 
um, if they don't hear from you and then someone says, you got this member option, you know, if you get in touch with us using these details, then you can, you know, get a slightly higher pension. It doesn't sound legit if you uh, don't expect to hear from people and you don't have that kind of frame of reference. Uh, it's just nice to kind of build trust if you're if you're planning things in the future. I think uh, you've already picked up on it. One of the questions I was going to ask was around, we sometimes communicate with a member at a certain event in their personal journey on the pensions, but apart from maybe a newsletter, they don't necessarily hear anything about how they fit within the scheme and the scheme itself. And the fact that your pension may be on a journey, but so is the whole scheme. I think it's something that a member wouldn't necessarily understand because I just pay into my pension and I'll get it when I retire. You know what I mean? What journey is there to be had with that? And actually understanding that securing benefits is positive. Members may not understand that there is the possibility that in some schemes you, there's a struggle to secure the benefits because of the funding levels and kind of building that trust, I think, is really important. So that's that's a really useful point. And I guess, again, it does circle back around to providing IFA support and removing some of those costs and the practical issues the members themselves will face. Again, that shows that the scheme and the trustees have and the and the sponsor have the members best interests at heart as well that we're here to support you. So here's some information and here's a source you can go to and get free advice um, so that it's not a scam and it's a reputable company and all those other things all builds together really well. And uh, while we're on the bigger picture point, I guess, Robin, um, if a scheme is targeting buyout, for example, as their end goal, are there particular areas of consideration that are needed in terms of the member options and what insurers themselves may be looking for? Um, so when you actually achieve that end goal, if you run a member options exercise, what what needs to be considered about that sort of approach? Yeah, and I, I was thinking about this, and I, I think the, the the key point here is is visibility, not just for the insurers, but but for everyone. So you know, we've talked about how for members it's important to have visibility about you know that that transaction might be happening. So you know, how can I access support in the run up to it? You know, when might that happen? It's important for trustees as well to think about the options that are available before we do an insurance transaction and those that might be available afterwards and how they differ so that trustees can be very clear that I guess we're, we're being fair to members, we're offering the right support and, and understand almost, you know, before versus after what, what looks different, you know, who sets the terms and, 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 you know, why are we doing the right thing? And then I think lastly, from an insurance perspective, you know, it, it's a very busy market. Insurers will want to understand exactly which, which deals they're doing and they'll need to, you know, think about the, the companies that they work with as well, so people like reinsurers, and they will want to understand that they're taking on a, a pool of, I guess, doing a fair deal and taking on a risk that they think they're taking on. So I, I think the visibility point for insurers is more about understanding which options have been offered, you know, to whom and how they have been advertised and having a very clear audit trail of that process. So from, from my perspective, I, I don't, you know, certainly don't think member options are, are a barrier to those transactions. I think if evidence in the right way, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more transactions where there have been various member options in place over the, you know, preceding years. I, I think as ever, it's just, it's a very busy market. And so the, the challenge there is is looking to an insurance company like we're very well ordered and we've got a, you know, a, a clear audit trail of what we've done and why. And do you reckon there's any, just think of top, is there any appeal to, an insurer that running things like this and then the ambition letters and stuff could hopefully create a more engaged membership. And I guess when the insurers are taking this off on and taking on this membership as part of their their, their buyout, then 
having a, a, a group of people that should understand their pension slightly better than if you hadn't done these things and do you reckon there's an appeal there or does that kind of not matter? I, 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 I think so there's an appeal in terms of you know because clearly the, the, they will administer these pension schemes and so more informed members make better choices you know less less time in, in quite a stretched admin environment at the moment and, and also you know frankly things like you know a, a less complaints things like that so when when insurers are thinking about taking on pension schemes and if they're underwriting all of the risks of the pension scheme then then clearly you know the cleaner we can make it the more engaged membership that we've got the the better position that we'll be in and in advance of doing any member options i guess you might have a look closer look at the data that's something that you'd have to do as part of an insurance process as well and when you conclude one we've run exercises where you confirm to members what the benefits are after any exercise that's been done and that's something that insurers like to see as well so yeah I'd, I'd echo what Robin says I think if it's done in the right way it can be a real positive in in a run-up to a buyout. I think the only thing to add then is that we all we all know we live in a sort of you know a busy world there's lots going on in the world at the moment and there are there are many challenges in terms of you know um getting the, the, the volume of work done. So, you know, the, I, think, I think the thing I would add to it is, you know, it's very important to have, a, it's easy for me to say, have a clear strategy, but but almost to, you know, there's no substitute for putting the time in and thinking about how we're going to, you know, how we're going to talk to members, what options we're going to offer them and what we want to do in which order, if that makes sense. Because, I mean, the last thing anyone wants to do is overload the sort of the admin system and, and start to get things things going wrong. And I know that's a particular challenge in the industry at the moment. So, you know, we're spending a lot of time with trustees just thinking about getting the, the ordering right, if that makes sense. I guess and it I links think... to Julia's point around if they suddenly get a barrage of communications yeah. within the last year of the scheme. Is that what you were going to go there, Julia? I guess? Yeah, totally. I just, <laughs> I think it's, it, it really shows to members having that plan behind closed doors. You know, everybody's signing up to it. The actual end product and the experience of the member usually does, does reflect that because we have acknowledged that there are loads of steps to this and we've got a plan and I think that always ends up making it back to the member it just feels a bit more like everything's under control there's people managing this there's nothing to worry about um it just helps again reinforce that kind of trust because I was thinking the same with them um, you know Mike you mentioned about data like cleaning the data first checking you got all the data you need confirming with members is this still accurate are there any holes in this um can you confirm your details with this again a classic sort of scam tactics um great we think we've got some information for you could you complete it for us and uh, that's again having that like consistent trusted voice we're going to be in touch with you there's some things we need to do one of them is we need to check we've got all your information up to date you know just just keep doing that in a nice steady way uh, so that there's no surprises and people don't um get suspicious really and then end up inundating the call centre for no good reason. Agreed. Yeah one exercise we did recently uh, addressed that pretty head on Julia where um, it didn't quite say this is not a scam because I yes. guess that's what a scammer would say but, yeah. it, but it, 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 it named some people at the company who if you, you know if you want more information talk to this person and people who everybody would know just to build that level of trust and make sure people engage and that did work really well you know anybody who, who did have questions did route it through the through the people that they knew and trusted. So thanks everyone this has been really, really interesting and I guess just to kind of recap I think for all of us, but I think particularly from a, a trustee perspective, our focus is always on providing the best outcomes for members. And I know it is for, for all of us here, but doing that while keeping perspective of 
the bigger picture of a scheme and the journey plan and how that all fits is is the key juggling act, I guess, to, to being a trustee there. Um, because the focus is always the member, but that is all members and not just an individual. So trying to fit all that together is a really complex thing. And I think member options focuses that particular balance perfectly and shows that there is the possibility that if the right options are made available, if they're communicated clearly and that members are provided with the necessary support, then it can definitely be a win-win for all parties involved uh, and something that's very positive and I guess it's something we've done lots of times. You guys have all done lots of times. It's not brand new to the market, and I think we're we're learning as we go in how it all fits. Uh, and it's useful to kind of have this discussion and look at it a bit wider. And obviously, if there's anybody watching the podcast who wants more information, all four of us are available to be contacted. Please feel free to get in contact. But yeah, it's been a really interesting chat. I, uh, as always, enjoy ch chatting to all three of you. So thank you for joining us today on the podcast. And uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. So thank you all now so thank you and hopefully whoever is watching it should be able to join us again on the next episode of the 2020 expert view podcast thank you bye thanks, thanks everyone bye.